Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. If I asked you to recount your most vivid memories, what comes to mind? I wonder if they're good memories or maybe they're bad memories. Is it your first day of school? Maybe it's the day you passed your driving test. Maybe the day someone told you that you'd never amount to much or maybe the day that you missed out on something important. And all these memories, they stick in our minds, sometimes because of the emotional nature of the experience. But on the other hand, some of the less vivid things, we have to really commit to making them stick, like revising for exams, practicing presentation, remembering a helpful way to respond to conflict, or memorizing a quote or verse to get you through a difficult time. Now, regardless of how these things become memories and why we remember them, they become part of us. There are experiences and the people who are involved and the feelings, they all help to form who we continually become. Now, today's psalm is a poem. It's an acrostic poem, which means that it starts with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It wasn't originally in English, which is why we don't see that, um, but that's what it would have been in the original language it was written in. And it was wisdom to be passed on. And the person who wrote it, um, I imagine, this is just me theorising slightly, but I imagine they wrote it um, acrostically so that it was easier to remember. It's easy to bring to mind because it came, each line came with different letters of the alphabet that were all in order. Now, in this season of my life, I've been thinking quite a lot about both memories and poems. A couple of weeks ago, my lovely Nan passed away. Now, she loved the Lord. She looked forward to her eternity with him. And so the sadness that we're feeling as a family right now is seen through a lens of hope. But one of her favourite things to do was to write poems. Okay, she was a born and bred scouser. She had a very loud and jokey sense of humour. And it showed in the poems that she wrote. And as we've kind of been coming to to terms with what's happened, we found them in notebooks, in birthday cards, on bookmarks, on scrap paper, in letters, in a Bible. Honestly, you couldn't know my nan and not avoid poems. It just wasn't possible. And my best memory of her poems was during the preparations for my cousin's wedding. As a group, myself and my cousins, we wrote a personalised version of When I'm 64, classy. Um, As a scouser, my nan loved the Beatles, and she literally swept into our conversation with some excellent verses. Now, um, I wanted to share one of these with you. For context, my cousin married an avid mountain biker, and he'd recently injured himself on one of his rides. And it said this. He's on his bike, how will this end? A trip to A&E. His wife has to drive along to take him home, leg in plaster, broken bone. Now they are married, what should he do? Get a tandem, sure. She will be squealing while he's freewheeling when she's 64. And the whole song went like this, and it was utter chaos. But this was 10 years ago, and I still can remember all of those verses. Part of that is because it came to a tune, but often it's, when it's a poem, when it rhymes, these things, they stick in our memory. So I imagine that the psalmist who wrote this, they wrote it in a, poet, um, in a poem because poems, they capture our imagination, whether it's like that with humour, whether it's deeper meaning, it shows the author's creativity, and it's often more memorable because the words rhyme as well. 
And I imagine that's what the author was hoping to do, to instill something here that could easily be remembered and passed on from generation to generation. For this reason, it's considered a psalm of wisdom. So let's bear that in mind as we read it together. So if you have your Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 111, it will also be on the screen. So it's Psalm 111, and it's titled in my Bible, Great Are the Lord's Works. It says this, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendour and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Now this psalm, it's overwhelmingly joyous. Okay, it feels like a real contrast to the past few psalms that we've talked about. We've obviously, um, over the past few weeks, looked at suffering and some really heavy, difficult topics that feel true, honestly, to how some of us have been feeling recently. But this psalm is the complete opposite, overwhelmingly joyous. No matter how you're feeling this morning, whether you feel like this could be you talking and you praying and crying out to God in joy, or whether it feels so removed from your current circumstances that you're thinking, oh my goodness, it's a praise psalm, then I'm hoping that there'll be things that you can all take away from this this morning when it comes to praising and worshipping God. So we're going to be looking at three main points that come from this passage. Praise together praise for his works and provision, and praise him now and forevermore. So our first one comes from verse one, which is praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. I think firstly, a definition is helpful. Um, in the Bible, praise is often boisterous, joyful, uninhibited recounting of everything that God has done. Now, this is slightly different to worship, which we would say is more from a place of reverence, of adoration, of humility in my understanding. So it's slightly different. Um, the second thing I just want to mention is um, when we see um, the, it's written, oh, it's not even on there. That's so bad. Um, <laughs> that's not great on my part, sorry. Um, but in the, in the rest of the text, when it showed um, the whole passage together then, the Lord is written in capitals, okay? Now, this is really important because when you look in your Bible, you'll often see Lord written with just a capital L and you'll see Lord written all in capital letters. Now, in this psalm, it's the one in capital letters. Now, it's referring to a specific name for God, which was Yahweh, which comes from God describing himself as I am who I am to Moses. Now, this particular name of God was too sacred for the Israelites to say out loud. So they, what they did was they shortened it and they just put the consonants in there. So it would just be YHWH. 
Now, this has been translated as Lord in all capital letters, and it refers to the divine, holy, and eternal nature of God. So not only are we thanking God, the Lord of our lives, we're thanking God who is eternal, outside of our comprehension, holy and powerful. However, what I want us to do this morning is focus on the second part of this verse. It says, in the company of the upright in the congregation. Now we're in a congregation this morning, just a group of people. Now when you look at the different translations of the Bible, um, there's, there's different ways of kind of, this has been written. And often they refer to both the company of close friends, which is the company of the upright, and in public, which is in the congregation. That's in a more public setting to just being in um, a group of close friends. Now, it's interesting that this comes right at the beginning of the psalm before it continues into what we'd be praising God for. Now, for those living when this was written, there would have been ample opportunity to celebrate God's goodness in both of these areas. Okay, These people lived in what was called a theocracy at the time. God was their ruler. And so it was likely that there weren't that many people who had different beliefs in that setting in the same way that our culture might. Now, they would have shared with family and friends when celebrating the Sabbath, which was just their rest day. And they had a lot of um, rituals and activities that they would do on that day. And they probably have opportunity to share it more corporately as well, whether that was the celebration of different festivals, often all revolving around God's goodness. Um, but the key thing is that this praise and this worship included others. There was a time for individual reflection. Praise is something that can and should be shared. Now, in the same way that me, we might experience a concert or a gig or a victorious football match, there's something exciting about joining with others to celebrate something together. There's an energy and an excitement that you just can't help but get sucked into. Now, honestly, I couldn't care less about football a lot of the time. But the first time I went and watched a football match with a group of people, I came in with that mindset, but I found myself being sucked in. I sucked into the tension, to the drama, the celebration, the excitement. I found myself cheering for a team that I just didn't care about at all. And since then, I've just been a fraction more interested in football. But praise is similar. There's something really precious about being encouraged into joyous celebration with others. And we're encouraged into this joyous celebration today, just as a group. So bringing these things together, we're invited to praise the eternal God, both in our close friendships and more publicly within church. It's a real gift to be able to praise God within community. And in the same way that God is relational, we've got Father, Son and Holy Spirit, it brings something that we can't experience on our own as we're created in his image. Moving on to the second point, um, the psalmist calls us to praise God for his works and provision. Now, there are so many references in here to God's works. His works could generally be described as um, his occupation or his physical and creative effort, what he's done. Now, this is a bit different to someone praising someone for doing their best or going above and beyond. These works are described here as being great and majestic, full of splendor and wonder. From reading various commentaries, loads of people believe that um, this, this psalm is referring to the exodus of the Israelites. And this can be seen in um, the themes of redemption. Now, for those of you who maybe um, aren't as familiar with the story, the Israelites, they, they went to Egypt in a famine. And year, over years and years, the Egyptians started treating them like slaves. And they were 
um, they were used essentially to create the amazing um, the buildings that we see, the extravagant culture that we see when we're looking at Egyptian history. But this was all built on slavery, essentially. And so God brought redemption. It says in verse 9 um, that he brought redemption to his people. And he brought them out of that poverty and slavery by demonstrations of its power. You can find that story in Exodus if you're interested. There's so much that goes on in there. Um, verse 8, it says all his precepts are trustworthy to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. After the Israelites had left Egypt, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments that the people were to live by. And this required that the people follow them faithfully, like the verse says. We see in verses five and six, the provision of food and of land for them to live in and a fulfillment of a covenant promise, a promise that God had made to their ancestors. Now, the people wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years after leading Egypt and they had nothing to eat. God caused manna, which was like this flaky bread, to like appear on the ground daily with enough for two days when it came to the Sabbath so that they could rest. And this sustained them until they reached the promised land. And finally, this fulfilled the covenant made to Abraham that I referred to, which I talked about in verse nine. In Genesis 26, it says this, that God promised to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father, Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So these were mighty and amazing displays of God's power, but it didn't take long for them to forget. Humans are quite fickle. We know that the same people who watched God bring them across the Red Sea were equally not trusting God to provide them a bit of food to keep them going. And we, like the Israelites, we need reminding. And for me, this brings a particular passage to mind. So if, again, if you've got your Bibles, um, I'm just going to go to Joshua chapter 3. So for context, this is the Israelites' entrance into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It'll come up on the screen as well. It says this. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the works of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he certainly will drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. The Jordan was Jordan River. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Um, we're just going to continue in chapter 4, verse 4. It says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the 
the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Thanks for bearing with me. I know it's a lot of text. But to summarise, they crossed the River Jordan and God literally stopped the river flowing so that they could walk across on dry land. It's mental, right? I can't imagine that happening. It's like me walking down to Fletcher Moss and the River Mersey just stopping flowing when it's at its peak. And rightly, they decided to construct a memorial using stones from the riverbed um, to remind them what God had done for them. And so going back to the psalm, there are so many amazing and awesome ways that they saw God's works and provision for his people. The author of this psalm was telling them to remember these, a bit like um, the, the fact that it's written in, a, in, like, in an acrostic poem so that it's easy to remember. The psalmist was calling people to remember in the same way that those stones were put there to remind them of what God had done for them. Now, I imagine that he hoped these would be vivid memories, much like the ones I asked about at the beginning. So going back to Psalm 111, the psalmist describes the works of God as being great. And he says that they were studied by all who delight in him and how God caused his wondrous works to be remembered. He was calling them to study the miracles that God had done. Now we're invited to do the same, to delight in his goodness with his people throughout the ages. Now, I really love the way that um, yeah, that's right. Um, I really love the way that Joe Rigney, who's a professor of, of theology and author, puts this. He says this, Delight leads to study. A lover can re recall every feature of his beloved's face. A mother knows every dimple, hair and birthmark on her baby's body. When we recognise something as full of splendour and majesty, careful attention is no chore. When we're fascinated, when we marvel at some wonder, when our hearts rise with delight in some reality, the natural and unavoidable response is to move further up and further in, to seek after the object of our affection, to devote concerted effort to observing, understanding and evaluating what we love, and then to feel, apply and express what we've seen. This bring us, brings us on to my last point, which is to praise now and forevermore. This final verse in verse 10 talks about how we're to follow what God says and we're, we're to continue to praise. The fear or reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is just the start of an entire lifetime of learning more about God's character and his beauty. As verse 7 says, God's works are faithful and just. We today can trust his precepts just as much as they could because of his love for us. Now we get to see this in a completely different way because we know that Jesus comes later. God was faithful to the promises that he would redeem his people through the law, but how much more do we know of his love? That Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he paid the penalty for our sin. He's prepared a place for us in eternity. And actually that's open to all who believe, just who believe, choose to believe and choose to live life with him. 
Now, his righteousness and his faithfulness, they're eternal. They go on forever and ever. And so his praise should go on forever and ever. Now, I don't know if you feel the same way, but sometimes I feel quite removed from the might and the power of God that was seen so clearly by the Israelites. I can't relate to the pillars of fire. I can't relate to water coming from stone and so many other examples. In addition, even they who had seen this in person, who had seen this happen before their very eyes, they needed reminding of God's faithfulness. Now, looking back um, at my life, God has been so faithful. Um, once, um, once a friend on a team day for the Christian charity that I worked in, um, they encouraged us in a time of reflection to draw the 12 stones like the altar that we talked about just then in Joshua. Now, she invited us to write in the stones what we'd seen God do in our lives as a testimony for his faithfulness. And looking back, um, God has been so, so faithful to me. So, so faithful. Sometimes it's something as simple as a little reminder of his goodness. I'll be thinking about something completely different and a verse will come to mind. Or maybe someone will say something that reminds me of how faithful God is. Sometimes God's been faithful in much bigger ways. In 2020, I was healed of a desire to self-harm. It was something that persisted for a really long time. It's something that terrified me. And honestly, it was a really dark time in my life. And one day, God told me really clearly that he was closing the door on that season. And I didn't believe it at the time. Um, but since then, I have been free of that desire. And it's amazing. But we're so fickle. It's so easy to just gloss over that and to forget that that is in your past. And... You can just move on and just forget that that even happened. And so what I really loved about that activity of just drawing that altar, thinking about what would be my 12 stones in that altar, that God has done so, so much. So casting our minds back to remember what God has done, taking time to reflect on these things, it increases our faith. Whether you do it individually, whether you do it with close friends, whether you do it more publicly in church, we trust that actually everything in this poem telling us to remember what God's done, both in the Bible, but also in our lives, is in our best interest. It reminds us of God's power. It reminds us of how worthy God is of our praise. So I'd really love for us to actually to take a few minutes to do something similar to this. Okay, so we've heard in this psalm that we are to praise and worship God amidst others who love God, whether that's in a small group of friends or in a congregation and to remember what God has done, and to praise him for his works. And then out of that, we fear him, we revere him, and we bring to mind his power, and that is the beginning of wisdom. So what would be your 12 stones? What would you say God has done in your life? And honestly, if you don't feel like you have much to share, that doesn't matter either, because actually share it. If you feel bitterness at what God's done in other people's lives, and you don't feel like you've seen that goodness, then bring that too. Because God can take it. God can hear you out. And God is faithful. And I believe that he hears us. And ultimately, as a church family, we're called to do life with each other, the ups and the downs. And the joy of this is that we get to pray into these things together. We get to do life together. We get to keep each other going. And we get to ask God for insight into what he might be teaching us in these seasons. So to conclude... We're invited to remember what God has done. We're invited to remember what he's done together and that there's a real value in that. 
And so I hope you've been encouraged. I'd love to hear some of your stories. I think it'd be amazing to just be able to continue sharing what God has done.